started a series called What Can I Bring? And what we're talking about is, um, you know, during the holidays, you're going to be invited to different functions, maybe with work, maybe from home or whatever. Uh, maybe you have a family gathering or whatever. And when that happens, the first question you ask usually is, can I bring something or what can I bring? And, uh, and so what we've been talking about or, or we, what we'll continue to be talking about are four dishes that aren't really dishes, but four dishes that you can bring to any party, any gathering that will be completely devoured because we also talked about when you bring something to a, a, an event, aren't you kind of always looking at your dish to see if they, they're going to eat it or not? Like, and then if it's, if it's only like a quarter of the way eaten, you're just like, oh, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're, maybe you're not competitive like I am, but I'm, I'm always doing that. Well, this dish, you can bring a whole truckload of, and uh, it's going to get devoured, and you can bring it to every single party and these, these, these four dishes. And the one we talked about yes, uh, last week was empathy, that you can bring empathy anywhere, in order to just take a step back, to be a non-anxious presence, to listen to the person's story. And we talked about the fact that the people that it's hardest for us to have empathy for are the people, the two extremes. We don't know any bit of their story. So to us, they're just a Republican or a Democrat or whatever you want to insert into your thing. Or we do know their story. There's somebody really close to us. So we think, I don't need to be empathetic. I know the whole story. We talked about how that's impossible on both extremes. So this morning, we're going to talk about kind of the sister to empathy, uh, which is forgiveness. We're going to be talking about that because invariably, we're going to go to events uh, where there'll be someone there. Maybe it's a work party and you're thinking, please don't let her be here. Please don't let her be here. Please don't let him be here, right? Like that coworker, that boss. Maybe it's a family event, and you have that one uncle, and you're like, oh, man, if I have to hear about the lizard people, I'm going to go crazy, right? Like, you just have all these conspiracies or whatever, whatever it is that, that they are. Maybe they're on the other side of the aisle than you uh, uh, politically. Maybe they have beliefs about how our country should move forward, or they have beliefs about different things that you don't agree with, or maybe they even have theological beliefs that you don't agree with. Uh, and, and so we talked about that. Um, and, and so what I want to talk about this morning is bringing forgiveness to events where people have actually harmed you. They've actually wounded you. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is a very famous story with two very famous characters in the Bible from the Old Testament. And to give you a little bit of background of what's going on, uh, there was a guy named David. Uh, if you're new to the Bible or you, 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 you're not familiar with that, uh, David uh, started off as a shepherd boy. He was probably around 15. We don't know that for sure. We just, we just kind of have to take different times that we know about and backtrack and formulate it. But he was a young man. And a prophet, Samuel, had said, this, this guy's going to be king. And so uh, he has all these brothers, and he's the youngest, and, and, and Samuel, the prophet, anoints him. So they all go out to battle. They're always fighting the Philistines. We'll see a really grotesque story about the Philip, Philistines uh, later, but um, well, it's not gross. I mean, it's just odd. The Bible is so cool. You guys got to read your Bible. It's so cool. We'll get to the story. But anyway, so he, he, there's this big uh, Philistine named Goliath. So you've probably heard the story David and Goliath. That's where it comes from. And so they bring Dave, uh, Goliath out, their champion, and they want to fight one other person, and whoever loses 
you know, then, then they get the other army. I don't know, whatever. So David, David's had this practice with this sling, right? And so he kills Goliath. And it's really cool. The Bible's really cool. He takes Goliath's own sword and chops off Goliath's head. And then uh, it says Saul, the king at the time, goes, who is this dude? And they said, oh, that's, that's David, son of Jesse, right? And so it says in the Bible that uh, Saul called for, Goliath, uh, for David, and David showed up with Goliath's head. Like he'd been carrying it around the whole day. Which, I don't know, that seems gross, but kind of cool at the same time. Like, yeah, hey, what's going on, man? My name's David. How you doing? Oh, it's just Goliath. I just killed him over there. Sorry about that. I don't have a bag yet. You know, I don't know how it, how it worked out, but it was just, I love the Bible. That was really cool. So Samuel, uh, Saul, starts getting, like, this dude's getting a lot of attention. You, we begin to see Saul, who was anointed by God to lead, all of a sudden begin to lead out of his insecurities and his fears. And I would imagine that the person who wounded you most was probably leading out of their fears and insecurities. Let me show you how this develops, and then we'll get to a very famous story. Uh, uh, it says this, um, so when the men were returning home, this is after David killed Goliath, after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul was singing and dancing. So Saul's just like, you know, riding on his horse. He's like, this is sweet. Like, that's right, dance it up. Look at me. And, and with lyres, just like, you know, guitars, harps, stuff like that. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, with, to which Saul is like, yeah. And David, his tens of thousands. And Saul went, boo. Watch what it, the Bible records what he was thinking. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me, only thousands. Eh. What more can he get but the kingdom? So he's, he's, David has done nothing, has David done anything wrong at this point? I mean, maybe carrying a head around too long, that was wrong. But, but other than that, has he, has he done anything wrong? No, he's only served his God and his king, Okay. So we, we go along, and um, uh, uh, so Saul thinks, I'm going to bring him into the family, because you got to keep your enemies close, right? So he says, you can marry this daughter of mine. And David says something really odd. He goes, I can't be the king's son-in-law. I, I just, I'm a shepherd boy that comes from this small family. So he refuses. So Saul has to come up with another idea. And so he finds out, Saul finds out that his, uh, uh, his daughter, Michal, Loves David, and so he's like, that's it. I'll get the two of them. To, I'll play matchmaker. So he tries again. David says, I'm just the least. I can't do it. No, 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 no. So this is, how many kids? Any kids? In, okay, well, right, here we go. Anyway, so Saul says, okay, here, tell David, this, all this dysfunctional triangulation. Tell David the only thing in order to marry McCall is the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. Okay, now I'm not going to get into biology at this point. You can look it up on Google. I probably shouldn't look it up on Google. But just, just you can figure it out yourself. Okay? And so, so that's, that's the price. That's the price. So that way David can just like earn it. So what David does, uh, and so, so this is the thing. So Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David. Saul became still more afraid of him. 
and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. David hasn't done anything. And I would imagine there are some of you who feel like I am being attacked for doing nothing by this insecure or fearful person in power. And it's really frustrating. So they say it's 100 foreskins. So David, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200. Like, not only is he going to pay, I'm going to pay double to show that I'm worthy. Now, this is where it was just odd. They counted out the full number to the king. Come on, son. Like, can't you just say, yeah, that, lo that looks about right, <laughs> right? Like, you got to count them. So, I don't know. I just, I just thought that was really odd. And it was in the Bible, so I'm reading it. And you should read your Bible. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michal in marriage. So, there you go. That's what it cost. So, I would suggest that we stop that practice um, with our kids. But here's the interesting thing. Even after all that, Saul could not get over his fear and insecurity. And so he just kept attacking, attacking, attacking. He tried to kill David like four times. He sent David into battle. You know, I'll let the Philistines kill him. David would win. And then they, guess what? This song they started singing, Saul has killed his thousands, David is, four times it keeps coming up over and over and over. And I could just imagine Saul sitting in his office or however you do it in the palace, and all of a sudden he hears, Saul has killed. I don't know if it was a heavy metal song or whatever it was, but they made it up. And he's just like, oh, I hate that guy, David. One time, twice actually, he threw a spear at David to impale him into the wall. And David was just playing the harp in front of him to calm him down. David didn't do anything. And here's where David ends up. He ends up in the desert. Here's this king. His, his identity from God and from Samuel is that you will be anointed king. And now he's in the desert. And many of you feel the same way. You're in a place emotionally. You're in a place Maybe mentally, where you're just like, how could this happen? Why, why am I here? Well, how could they do that to me? Maybe it was a relationship that didn't work. Maybe it's a relationship you, 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 you've given all your life to your kids, all your life to your kids, and, and they just at, the, at some point, they're just like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And you're thinking, what have I possibly done? And so <clears throat> David's by himself. And if, he, if, if he's like me, I would be rehearsing my speech to the person who hurt me. Because I know because I've done that in the past. Have you ever done that? Where someone's, someone's hurt you and you go and you're like, oh man. And you start having a conversation with the person who's not even there. And you're arguing with them. And you're coming up with the five zingers you're going to use next time you talk to them about that subject. You ever done that? I've done it. Maybe I should leave the ministry. I don't know. I don't like casserole, so it might as well be out of here, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, right? So, 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 if, have you? Ever, I could imagine David in 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 the, in the desert, walking around, going, "Are you kidding me? Where's God? Where, where, what, what is going on?" Watch what happens. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. A king in the cave. A king in a cave. How does that happen? How does that happen for us when we're trying to do the best we can with our boss? We're, we're trying to do everything she says, he says, or whatever. And it's just constant, this constant barrage. Well, let me, let me show you one of the first things that happens when we get into the desert and we get into our caves. We get 
oftentimes surrounded by other people who are in that same desert and in those same caves. And look how the Bible describes these people. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. They found out he was in the cave, so the family went down, which was good. All those who were in distress, in debt, or discontented, right, gathered around him. Now, you have one of two things to do when this happens. Because if you're at work and nobody likes your boss, those who are in distress or discontented or in debt will be like, I cannot believe that. And they just start to feed a narrative. But watch what David does. He became their commander. All of a sudden, he began to lead in his desert place. He he probably mourned. He probably went over a bunch of things. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But all of a sudden, those gather around him, and he had a choice. He could say, when we get him, when we get Saul, because all these people just wanted to do was go home. <laughs> they don't want to live in the desert, right? And so he, he says, you know, they became a commander, and there was about 400 men with him, Right? It goes on, and we'll be kind of skipping because there's a lot of narrative in here, that David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert Ziff. He was there for seven years, that dude. This was, no, this was no short time in the desert. And maybe as you look back over your life, there have been seasons that were years Sometimes decades where you felt like you were in this desert because of one person. It says here, Saul, day after day, it just kept coming and coming and coming. And there was nothing David did. So you think to yourself, where's God? Maybe you think that to yourself now. Maybe you're at home and you're just like, Where, where's God in all this? I, 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 I gave my life over to Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. I have all these promises in the Bible. Where, where, where are they? Where are they? Because here's, here's the false narrative that we often do. If God doesn't rescue us right away at the, out of the desert, we tend to question God, don't we? Like if there's a God, if he loves me, why am I going through this? Why are my kids acting this way? Why is my boss acting that way? Why is this unfair? Why are my, uh, why are my parents acting this way? Why did, they, why did my dad leave? Some of us just having one parent leave. It's been decades of desert. Every time we see a, a, a family unit that we think has it all together. Watch this. This is the same verse Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God. This is the first time God is now inserted into the desert. All this narrative has just been David, Saul, David, Saul, David, Saul. But God did not give David into his hands. In other words, God didn't give David into Saul's hands, but God allowed David to stay in the desert. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? That God would allow someone to stay in the desert. I think if we think hard enough, we kind of know the answer. So watch what happens. So, so we have a bunch of narrative going on. And, and uh, Saul, people would come up to Saul. I saw David here. I saw David at Walmart. Then he'd get in the car and drive to Walmart. Hi, all right, guy. Like he just like, he's just like going over. Like it was Saul's full-time job. Now let me ask you this. Saul's in the palace, right? But he's really in a desert of his own. 
He's consumed. And all this time, I've been talking to everybody as though we're all David in the desert. But some of us can be Saul at some times. Some of us can, can start leading out of our fear and insecurity. I remember the first three years I was here, I just felt like a fit, like a, because I came out of business and I came in to be a pastor and I didn't know what I was doing, I just felt like a fraud, like a complete and utter fraud. People go, well, John, what does the Bible say about this? I'm like, Google it. I don't know. I, uh, I hadn't gone to seminary. Like, like, I just, I felt like a fraud. And there were, I just can remember back in some of meetings and different things I did, I was leading out of insecurity and I became a Saul to some people. I was leading out of fear, and so I, 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 I spent too much time defending myself or trying to get my point across and all those things. I, I was. I think we all can be. Sometimes we think about our kids, and we love them so much, and we become so controlling, and we say it's out of love, but in fact, it's just controlling. We just are fearful, right? You might be a boss, and you're like, look, we got to get our numbers down, and my job is to make sure we get our numbers, and you just become a Saul Badgering and badgering and badgering. I mean, no one from this church, but I'm just saying, if it gets out on the internet. So watch what happens. Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and he was told, David's at Walmart. You know, David's at the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000. When we become a Saul, it impacts everyone around us, not just the person we're pursuing. It, it affects our home life. It affects what kind of neighbor we are. And so he takes 3,000 able men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. I love when the Bible gets specific. I have no idea where that is. But what's cool is the person who wrote it was expecting that the person reading it back in the day would go, oh, yeah, the crags of the wild yeah, That's right. That's across from Costco, right? So like they know exactly where it is. But I wanted to show you a picture of what Engedi kind of looks like. Look at that. And these, these, you can see the different caves and things all around. And for some of us right now, that's how you feel. That's how I feel emotionally. That's how I feel mentally. I just feel like it's a desert. And I'm here to say, but God, but God is with you and wants to use this desert. Uh, it's right by the Dead Sea. You can kind of see if you keep going, you'll, you'll make it to the Dead Sea. So you've got all these rocks and caves and you've got the Dead Sea there. So Samuel, this is where we get to the fun part. Samuel came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. Uh, yeah, he, no, I'm sorry. He came into the sheep gate, uh, and Saul went in to relieve himself. This has been kind of a potty mouth sermon. This whole sermon has been this way. But this is the first time, and I think the only time, that someone going to the bathroom is actually in the Bible, right? But I want you to get the picture here. I mean, not the whole picture, but I want you to get the picture Here's this cave, right? And, and, and a normal, uh, and all the other soldiers, they, they don't, the caravan doesn't stop. They just have to go catch up, run back in. But when the king has to go, he gets his own private cave, right? And so they stop. He goes into the cave, and you just picture a giant cave, and he's been in daylight the whole time. So when he gets to this cave, he cannot see anything inside, Right? And he stays by the mouth of the cave in just enough to where he's hidden. But he's not going to, he can't walk back into the cave because he can't see, right? David and his men were far back in the cave. <laughs> oh, 
snap. Now, you figure Saul walks in. They just see this silhouette of Saul. And they're like, the, Lord has, the Lord's done it. The Lord's done it. I know exactly what to do. It's problem solved, right? Actually, the men said to David, this is the day the Lord spoke of. When he said to you, I'll give the enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Like, ah, oh, that the story we've been rehearsing in our minds about I'm going to get even with them. One, at, at Thanksgiving, I'm finally going to, I have my, my seven, you know, mani point manifesto about how the family has done me wrong. You got it all together. You got it all together. So David crept unnoticed. Like, it's, he's getting closer, right? He, get, he crept unnoticed, and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And you're thinking to yourself, cut off the corner of his robe? Like, what is that? That doesn't do anything. I, I can't still figure this out from what, in light of what the next verse is, but apparently David thought this is part of the plan. Maybe he was going to cut off the robe, kill him, and take off, and then when people said who killed him, he could say, I did later, right? I have no idea. But what happens is this, and this is so pivotal to how we treat people when we finally get a chance to get even. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of the robe. That's nothing. Everybody in that cave, you and I, we'd all go, David, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But something in his spirit said, you know what? I'm not going to go forward. Have you ever done that when you're in a conversation and you're talking and you're like, oh, I got them. They just backed into a corner and I got them. And then you hear this voice that says, don't say anything. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And then you say it. Has it ever gone well for you? It has never gone right for me, where it's like, I don't really think you should say that. I don't think, it's, I'm conscious trick. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's not a big deal. And besides, they teed it up for me. Like, that's really their problem. They should have had a better argument. And the Lord's like, don't, don't, don't. And then you blurt it out and you go, ah, never goes well. So he says, the Lord, uh, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him for he is anointed of the Lord. So he goes back to his men, and they are not happy. And he's still got the robe. Uh, uh, Saul goes back to his people, and David comes out to the mouth of the cave. And he's got the robe, and he yells out to Saul. Watch what he says. See my father. Look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of any wrongdoing or rebellion. And then he goes into this, this kind of rant where he says, Against whom has the king of Israel come out? You're pursuing a dead dog? Like, I'm a nobody. Why are you doing this? Why are you pursuing me? Why, why, is, why do I make such a big deal to you? You ever felt that way? Where you're like, what is it about me that you just keep coming after me? May the Lord our, uh, our judge and uh, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May He consider my cause and uphold it. May He vindicate me by delivering me from Your hand. So He goes to this thing, and David gets exactly what we all wish would happen when we talk when I, we confront our boss. Imagine if you confronted that person or the, the spouse that left you or whatever it was who's been putting you in the wilderness. If they said this, "You are more righteous than I." 
Isn't that what we always hope for? That we'll have an argument and they'll go, you know what? I never should have done that. How can I repay thee for, all? right? So he goes on. He said, you've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. Uh-huh. That's why I was going to say that too. You have just told me uh, about the good you did to me, but the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. He goes on. When a man finds an enemy, does he let him go away unharmed? Saul's processing all this. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established into your hands. And then Saul's insecurity and fear creeps right back in again like it always did. Very next thing out of his mouth. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. Have you ever had someone apologize to you and then immediately start in on something else and you're like, did you even mean anything you said? Watch how David responds. And David replied, are you kidding me? This again? Is this all you think about? I had the opportunity to kill me. What a moron. Go home. Next time you come out here, you're dead. I swear you're a piece of work, right? That's loosely translated from the Hebrew. That's not... That's not what he says. I inserted what I would say. Like, I would just be like, are you kidding? What are you doing? I might not have said moron. That's a little harsh. Watch what David does. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home. So you're like, oh, man. I rewrote this other verse. David went back to the palace and served Saul with his family, and they all had a good laugh. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Even after the apology, even after David said, you know what, I'm not going to kill this guy, and, and there was a little bit of a breakthrough, David and his men went up to the stronghold. You can forgive someone and not trust them. There's nothing that says you have to keep putting yourself in harm's way. But there is something that says you need to forgive them. And here's what I noticed, too. David got comfortable in the wilderness he got comfortable in his woundedness, going, you know what? It is going to be okay. I can wait. I can see what God's going to do. I want to show you one other picture of En Gedi. Uh, these are, they have these hidden springs everywhere. Or not everywhere, but just in these certain places. And I can imagine David in the wilderness going, okay, a king in a cave, right? Going, you know what? God's going to get me through this. I can be sustained here. My goal isn't just to get out, to get back to the palace, to make it over. I'm not going to medicate my way out. I'm not going to manipulate my way out. Until the Lord brings me out of this desert, I'm going to learn how to be strong in the wilderness. And I wonder for some of us, that's what the Lord has for you right now. It's a tough space. And you're saying, why doesn't he, why doesn't he take me out of this? Why doesn't he make it stop? And the Lord's going, I want you to come out as a king stronger than you would be if you were just in the palace all that time. I want to read a few quick verses in the New Testament that just drive this home. If you're a follower of Jesus, um, um, 
if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're new to the Bible, these are just passages that come from different letters that different people wrote. We have Paul, uh, Peter in there, Paul in here. Uh, we have some words of Jesus in here. Um, and so that, I'm just letting you know that's what these are. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, these are all commands. <laughs> so, sorry about that, right? Listen to what it says. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then here's the kicker, and this is the worst part of the whole verse. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Like, well, how do we want the Lord to forgive us? Like over and over and over and over again. And so you sense that loss. You sense the loss of whatever it was. Maybe somebody did something very hard, very difficult to you. And you're, you've been in the desert trying to work this out for a very long time. We forgive, we forgive, we forgive. And that's a, that's a passage written by the Apostle Paul. Here's another passage written by the Apostle Paul. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, uh-oh, just, uh, just as in Christ God forgave you. Again, the standard is very, very high, okay? 2 Corinthians um, uh, was written this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. In other words, he bridged that gap. And gave us the ministry of gap bridging, okay, of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting the people's sins against them. And he says to us, you have the same ministry of reconciliation. You're bringing people to God. You're bringing people to yourself. Romans 12, uh, 17 through 18 is very, very clear. Do not repay uh, anyone evil for evil, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Do the best you can. It goes on after that in Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, but my dear friends, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. As the worship band comes back up, I just have a couple more. I love this one. This is Peter. Do not repay evil for evil, which we think, well, well I'm not going to do anyone evil, or insult for insult. In other words, don't we want to give back verbally, right? right? On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. In other words, ultimately, this is going to, Turn out. I'll go Old Testament on you right now, because this is not just the New Testament. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then, the, and then God says, I'm the Lord. Like, gives this very specific, and guess who's talking to you right you now? And I'm your dad, so you have to do it, right? That's, that's kind of the idea. I'm the Lord. I love this last one, and we'll end with this one. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Isn't that cool? And for everyone else. So what do you do when you get to a party or an event and that person's there, you know? And you're just like, man, you have no idea the damage they've done. Well, we forgive them. 
We set our healthy boundaries. And we figure out, Lord, I'm in the desert right now. How do I get strengthened and how do I get sustained? Teach me. Help me. Help me get through this. So what we're going to do now is we end with uh, one final song. And we open up the stage. And you can kneel here and just pray if you've got something on your heart. You know, I, I like to, after I preach, come down and kneel here just to reset my soul for the week coming up. And uh, you might have someone that uh, you're having a really hard time to forgive. And you want to take that posture of humility and just come and kneel. Nobody cares. Nobody's wondering why you're coming up. It's just a, it's just, to me, it's an act of submission and an act of humility to go, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't get out of the desert on my own. But you have not allowed them to kill me. You haven't allowed it to go too far. God, would you just help me? And then we have uh, a cross over here. And so if you have something specific you'd like someone to pray for, there'll be somebody at the cross uh, as well there. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, uh, Tanner will lead us in the song, and, uh, and then I'll come back up afterwards and bless us, and we can go. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you modeled forgiveness so perfectly when you said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They're just acting out of their fear, their insecurity, their ignorance. And Lord, for those who have wounded us that have acted out of their fear and insecurity and woundedness, Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace and the wisdom to forgive them as well. And Lord, for some of us who are have not yet found the springs in the desert. We haven't found the places of refreshing. Lord, would you help us find them? Would you help us grow? In Jesus' name, amen. Let me go ahead and stand for the blessing. And now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you'd go in his peace, in his grace, and in his forgiveness to be freely shared. Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.